what if your identity, who you felt you are as a person, your values, what you were about, what if that was denied? What if that was denied at a national level? Well, that is what my guest today goes through on a daily basis because there's a narrative, there's a narrative about her that isn't really about her. Luckily, she's a fierce person who will fight to be seen and heard for exactly who she is. However, the way that this happens to her tells us a lot about how we as a community in Australia, how we see women, how we see survivors of child sexual abuse, and to be frank, how little we hold our media to account. Grace Tame is an Australian of the year, an author, and she's a voice that's truly shaking the foundations of our community, and for good reason. She gained prominence for her advocacy and determination to overturn antiquated Tasmanian laws that prevented survivors from speaking out about their experience through the campaign Let Her Speak. Until April the 6th, 2020, it was illegal for victims of sexual abuse, sexual assault. It was illegal for these victims to identify themselves as the victim of such a crime. And if they did speak up about what happened to them, they could face six months in prison. Now, the law was apparently to protect people from being identified if they didn't want to be identified. However, if those survivors chose to share their stories, it would be illegal to do so. That forced anonymity that only reinforces the stigma and shame in our community around victims of such crime is just something that's unspeakable. Now, these laws at the same time, these laws ended up protecting the people who committed these crimes. The same laws that in their wording around why those people who ended up in prison, the crime was to maintain a sexual relationship with a person under the age of 17. There was the word relationship in that. And clearly, when I say that word, that particular word changes how you even think about what happened between the child victim, between what happened with them and the perpetrator, the person that committed the crime. Now, in a world where conversations about consent and survivor support are, are more crucial than ever, Grace Tame has been a driving force in raising awareness and demanding change. Her courage, her determination, they've paved the way for important discussions that really do challenge the status quo. And it is a status quo that does not like to be challenged. The absolutely rancid stacks on that she has to deal with as an adult, it's utterly shameful. The things that she has to endure for speaking out about her abuse is too awful to behold. And the things that have happened to her and keep happening to her, they're all perpetrated by men, adult men. Grace Tame is a powerful, a brilliant person. I'm so glad that you're going to get a chance to engage with her today. It's a great conversation. I'm glad you get to be a part of it. But first, we need to play some ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The news landscape is not synonymous with truth. The news and truth are not the same thing. The, the especially uh, mainstream media, it, well, what it is is it's a corporate-sponsored circus performance, and occasionally truth gets thrown into that ring and juggled. That is author, activist, and Australian of the Year Grace Time. And this is Osher Ginsburg, Better Than Yesterday. Hello, thanks for being here. This is Better Than Yesterday, where every episode since 2013, we bring you ideas to make it better. That's what we're doing. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we're here. Mondays, I'm with a guest. Fridays, Wednesdays, I'm with a guest. And Fridays, it's, it's me and you. Me, I'm Osher Ginsburg. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm a, a electricity company bill email face maker. Uh, I'm glad you made it to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you uh, very much for all the emails. Send Osher email at gmail.com. That's my email address. Got some great emails about Friday's episode. Thank you so much. And as well, really lovely emails about the Thomas Mayo episode that we did last week. Yeah, send Osher email at gmail.com. I always love to see where it is that you're listening to the show because it helps me know about you. Like I'm sitting in a studio that you will see if you watch the videos of this, you will know exactly where I am and what I'm doing right now. Um, But Jess has sent a fantastic picture. Studying late at night in Scotland. I've been here for two years now and I'm dismayed that I'll not be able to vote in this ridiculous referendum. I don't think there was a referendum when I lived in America what, you have to be in the country? Is that right, Jess? Surely you can go to an embassy. Anyway, she's written, yes, always. Well, thanks, Jess. I'm glad you're studying. I'm glad you're doing stuff there. Uh, Love your work, although I do miss you saying sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Oh, yeah, I used to end each episode with a sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Um, There you go, Jess. There was one for you. I haven't done it for a while. I stopped feeling like doing it. But thanks anyway. 
I'm really glad that you emailed. Uh, This one, beautiful. Enjoying a beautiful walk while listening to your episode about the voice. We are so lucky to live on this land. Thank you so much, Jen. And there's an extraordinary picture of like just Australian bush, you know, the kind of bush where there's trees that are good 20, 30 meters tall and the bottom of the forest is just ferns, you know, like ancient, brilliant, asexual reproducing plants, just things from dinosaur era that just survived. They're the alligators of the plant world. The crocodiles of the plant world. Amazing. That's a great walk you're going on. Thanks for listening. This is great. I'm listening to Thomas May episode, Making a Frittata for Breakfast. What a good that's good spinach there. Here's hoping uh, this episode helps change minds and hearts. Thanks, Danielle in Queensland. Oh, boy, yeah. Danielle, good luck having the conversations you're going to be having over the next couple of weeks. I'm sure you'll be having a few of them. Um, maybe Friday's episode might help you with some of those, um, the one about misinformation. It was interesting putting that one together. Uh, thanks for getting in touch. You can just send me a picture of what you're looking at right now. Pick up your phone, take a photo, send it to me. Send osher email at gmail.com. Let's get to Grace Tame. Look, she came over here. We sat down at this desk. We had a conversation. She was amazing. She is a powerful human. She has been through a lot. A lot. She is never going to stop. In fact, there's points in this conversation where I just, I dive out of the way because, and that's great. I was just so inspired by a person who holds their space, holds their identity, holds their values so powerfully. It was cool as shit. She's dope and a really interesting, really, really interesting person. She's going to kick doors open. She's going to help a lot of people who need it. She's a pretty fabulous human being. And I'm so grateful that she made time to come around and have a chat with me. This goes without saying that this conversation is going to cover. Grace Tame is a a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. She was horribly groomed by a person in power, a teacher at her school. And that abuse went on for, for a long, long, long time. I won't, you know, the details will come out through the conversation. But suffice to say, this conversation covers a lot. So... If you need support around that sort of thing, uh, please, you know, reach out. There's Lifeline. There's, you know, because sometimes people don't realize and there's memories that people have forgotten about and there's things that can trigger a remembrance moment and then suddenly you go, oh, my gosh, that's right, that thing happened. And before you know it, you're on a downward spiral. And uh, it's important to understand that that stuff can show up. So you're going to be hearing some stuff today that's all about that. But it's important to talk about it. It's really important to talk about it because it happens so much in our community. But because we're afraid to talk about it, it keeps like happening. So let's talk about it. If you need help, talk to people around you, talk to your GP, talk to your psychologist, talk to Lifeline 13, 11, 14. Get around Grace's book, get around her social feeds. She's really something special. Enjoy this conversation with Grace Time. Thanks for coming. It's uh, it, it's it's extraordinary to speak to you because I went to an all boys school. I'm one of four boys. I had a very very strange view of uh, women and women's role in society. I grew up in Queensland. I was at the school of the landed gentry and their doctors and lawyers. My parents were the doctors, and I never saw another point of view. I didn't understand. I didn't know. I, I just didn't have any idea. It's pre-internet. It's not to, you know, I just didn't know. As I got older and as I got out into the workforce through some very kind conversations and through a uh, very patient girlfriend I had when I was 21, 
I kind of started to figure things out. Um, and it was, it was a hard road because I had believed many different things as a young man. We talk about legislation, but it's so, so fucking molasses-like slow. At what point do these conversations need to happen, Grace? They're pretty early, aren't they? Um, I mean, it depends what conversations... Around respect, around agency, around seeing humanity in others. Yeah, I mean, I think that... I mean, I've never... With respect to the fact that I've never raised a child and I, I parents are going to raise their, their children differently. Yeah. And I, I think it's hard to, to know, but then at the same time... I've been I've been lucky in that both my parents, for all of their um, differences from each other and from me, mm. they inst- instilled in me a, prof- a profoundly immovable humanity. Um, I mean, I I come from two very open-minded individuals mm-hmm. um, who are very also community-minded at the same time mm-hmm. as being, you know, independent thinkers. Um, and, um, you know, I'm just thinking about my, my, my childhood mm. um, as a, you know, albeit pretty turbulent frame of reference. There weren't any, like, direct conversations really that I can think of I was, it was sort of demonstrated to me. Yeah, the kids in, don't do what you tell yeah. them, they do what you show them. That's yeah, the exactly. worst and best thing about parenting. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> my, my parents sort of led by example. I mean, my father was a teacher. He was a public high school teacher. Um, and, I mean, he, he, he retired um, as a teacher of higher needs kids, um, kids who were both had... Um, varying disabilities, whether they were learning disabilities um, or uh, they were kids who um, came from backgrounds that were difficult and yeah. they're, you know, I remember that my dad would, would have to go and pick up some kids from their houses, you know, uh-huh. and they'd be like sometimes asleep in their clothes uh-huh. and he would um, have to get them up and stuff like that. To get them to school. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. like, and, but he, oh, wow, he's he really cared. He really, really cared. Oh, yeah, but, I mean, like, there are a lot of teachers that do that. There are a lot of teachers that do that and, um, you know, like, they are the lifeblood of our community. Um, um, uh, teachers play many roles mm. in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and my mum... Uh, just retired. She was a youth worker for um, three years and she was in that role caring for wards of the state whose parents had relinquished um, their responsibility so of parenting. Two, so you were raised by two people who just have like em- empathy and thinking of others as, as the core of their values and that they found a job that is – because that's not a job. You, you don't do those jobs for the cash. Um, they're not, you know. <laughs> no, they're not big earning jobs. No, no. Um, you've got to love that. You've got to need to do it. You've got to. I mean, my, my mum had lots of different jobs. She was um, a croupier at one point, blackjack dealer. Um, she worked in, I mean, she worked in health insurance at one point. She worked in hotels at one point. Um, she was a newsreader for about 10 years, um, but that was just at, you know, like wind television. She she actually earned less than my dad did as a public high school teacher. That shows you Tasmania's um, television industry. <laughs> 
Um, but no, um, yeah, she worked in youth work and um, that, that is like a tough, a tough gig. And, you know, in terms of children who have had it tough. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I'm, I'm really lucky in that they um, never imposed any kind of ideological thinking on me and in terms of respectful behaviours and, mm. um, again, nobody is perfect and they're both flawed individuals like everybody else and certainly I am fall into that basket. It is really hard because, like, even, even the day, like, I'm 28 years old and I think about how different my childhood was to now and the way that, like, technology is so infused in learning even yeah. and in okay. play and it's almost like the role that a parent plays is minimised. Like it's not the way I see it. Like it's just it's just different. It's it's been changed by by in, things in, like that. In, in some ways, and in other ways, it's far more hands on. In other ways, the there's a, there's a there's a real pressure to be like it. It was all right. Out of bed, be home when the streetlights come on. That was what I grew up with, you know, and, and it wasn't really? on the parent to look after you all day. You had to find something to do and that was it and we were fine. Um, fine. You know? But I guess, but do you know what I'm saying? Like as in like yeah. the, how I would describe it is there has been, you know, over the last century and this comes from mm. my, my th- this comes from my knowledge of history there has been this this steady individualization of society this yeah, atom- atomization yeah. of society yeah. and this destruction of the family mm. unit this destruction mm. of the community unit mm. and that is what has produced this you know individualization and so mm. people are you know, spending more time at work, they're needing mm. to spend more time at work to earn more money mm. at the level of the individual in terms of friendships for people who don't necessarily have children. Mm. I know that society has been re- re-engineered. Oh, yeah. So oh, it yeah. is, it's really hard to yeah. talk about respectful relationships because relationships in general have changed. Without a doubt. And people's place in their wider community yeah. is so different to what it what it, it's, it's different from, from what it was a year ago. It's different yeah. from what it was five years ago. And as yeah. you meant, the fracturing and the atomization, the granularity of, yep. you know, y- you are you are the logo you wear on your T-shirt. That's how we know you're awesome. You are the amount of followers you've got on TikTok. That's how we know you're awesome. Not you – we heard that you helped that person the other day and that's nice you did that, you know, and that's a lasting happiness when someone, you know, because you help that person because they're in your community versus, you know, not knowing who you are in your community. I This is the best street I've ever lived on. I know all of my neighbours. Mm. I have their phone numbers. Good. They're delightful. Wolf goes and runs around and plays. It's the fucking best ever. I've never lived in a street like this. And I miss it. Because it's something that reminded me of of when I was younger. But there's people that live in gigantic, you know, huge tracts, suburbs, you just go forever. And there's no, you can't, they're not pedestrian neighbourhoods, you can't walk anywhere. I, I, when I lived, I lived in America for 10 years, we had that in common. I would never see anybody. I would see my neighbour's gardener. That's the only person in my street. I lived in a house for a year and a half. People just don't see each other. And when you don't see each other, you, you know, you, it's like, woo, you well, we're, we're afraid of each other. And, it's disconnected. And that's and the whole point of life is to, yeah. to foster connection. And yeah. the, the, like the, the connection is we, like we're, it's this mass spiritual death that is permeating 
society at and, large. And a health death. Loneliness is as dangerous as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, well that's that what I used to sit on the board at Sane Australia. When that one came up, I was like, fucking hell. That's, we've got to, we've got to get big, community theatre group. I don't know what it is. Like, let's get people out the door. Yeah. We've got to it's... queue two and a half years and don't leave your house. But putting these practices into your day, because I know what it's like. I, I was agoraphobic for a while and I did not leave the house for days at a time. I did, my health, mental health was very poor and it felt good to not want to leave the house. Because, oh, I'm safe. Don't have to look at fucking people, you know. <laughs> Don't have to talk to people. It would be the worst thing in the world. It was terrifying. If anyone speaks to me, it'll be the worst. I'm terrified. It was bad. And to, to allay that fear, I would stay in the house more. And then I'm like, fuck, I've really got to go because, you know, Australian idols on tonight are going to have to go to work. <laughs> go to work and do that. <laughs> Run home. <laughs> drink bottles of wine. Uh, and that's, you know, it's uh, it's a terrible loop that you can get stuck in. And then all you need to do is like throw a couple of seeds of fear or othering or misinformation or anti-Semitism or racism or misogyny and that. And it's a fucking tinderbox, man. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's not actually that you're agoraphobic necessarily or maybe it manifested into that. But what I think a lot of the time, and I could be wrong, this is just an idea, a lot of the time what we really struggle with um, as human beings, certainly because we tend to overcomplicate things or we tend to overlook the the, the simple um, because we are cognitive misers, is that we fail to identify um what it is that is the the feeling that we're feeling, you know, and like in your case, you, you as somebody who is like presenting on television, which is in of itself, like it's, that's so much pressure, you know, it's probably too much pressure in a lot of cases for, you know, the average person. And so like you were just countering that with the opposite of like, I need like to re, I need to repair <laughs> myself. Well, you know, the, the thing I, and I must explain to you is like to go to work like that, it's an extraordinarily structured environment. There's yeah. a hierarchy. So controlled. It's, I know exactly. I'm, it's live television. I know what's going to happen next. I get to say what happens next. I know everything that's about to happen. I'm in complete control. I'm part of a system that is going to start here. It's going to end there. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be great. And then I get to go home. And so it's very different to being on a train or walking down the street to get my groceries. And, and the other thing is because it is so intense because of the I, – I have a sense identified this um, – through the help of very clever psychiatrists, because it is so intense, there's no room for the shitty thinking to get in because I'm just – it is – it's like when I do Masked Singer, right? Um, there's 14, 12 cameras in the studio and it's like, okay, we're rolling everybody, 10, 9, 8. Okay, okay, so eight steps forward, left point, right point. Don't stand there right there because that's when the fireworks going to explode. Don't catch on fire. Can't see anything because I'm in a mask. Um, flip the microphone, catch it without looking, take the mask off, hand it to that dancer. Don't stand there because there's fireworks, but then be over there and then look here, look there, blah, 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 blah. Complete fucking peace. There's no weird thoughts. There's no nothing. There's nothing. It's just complete serenity. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, but I think that what perhaps produces that in um, serenity is, and I, again, I could be wrong, but but in order to produce that serenity, is it's maybe partially adrenaline has a codifying effect on memory. So mm, yeah. 
so what's codifying that 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 crystal clear? Yeah. What's giving you that crystal clear sense? I'm, I'm, I'm not. Is, I don't. I'm not jacked at that point. I, I don't, don't have adrenaline in those moments. What, do you not no, have adrenaline? I don't, I'm very aware of someone who's lived with <laughs> as someone who's lived with paranoid delusions, actual psychosis. I know what it feels like when I can feel my adrenaline glands spasm halfway up my back and and send that fury up no, my spine. No, but sport. like that's. But also that's like you're um, neurodivergent, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so neurodivergent people have different pain receptors. Oh, right, yeah. So different, they process pain differently. That's why you tend to find them in places like this where they're <laughs> able to, where they're able to, like, um, like they've got really high pain thresholds and um, really high, really, really. How do you mention that? <laughs> yeah, really high. I'm like. It's a, it's a long story about that. I'll yeah, that. so really, like. But look, really, it's interesting. We, we find our But way. I could we be, again, I could be wrong. I'm not. We find our place. Well, let me ask you this. What do you get out of um, when it's you and um, a canvas or you and a sketch pad? What do you get out of that? Because you're, you're an artist. You, you create. You're in that moment. What do you get out of those moments? What are they like for you? Oh, um, <laughs> I mean, I completely am just in a not in a, in a different world, but I'm com- like completely transfixed by the mm. um, the task at hand, mm. and I'm I'm connecting with that project mm. such that everything else around me falls away, and um, and then it almost takes me um, a while to get out of it. Mm. Like if I go to the bathroom, I'll get up and then like run into a a door or a wall or something because um, I've lost my depth perception. Wow. Um, I'm like, like I re, it's like I, you know, resituate myself mm. according to what I'm doing wow. there. And, um, yeah, I get out of my head. Yeah, right. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's really, it's really powerful release of um, trauma um, sometimes I'll put on music. Other times I won't. You know, I, I think there's a there's a meditative ac- aspect to it, even though it's um, mm. you know you're ocu- occupied. Um, the same with running um, or riding. Um, I really like to be out in nature. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's a very mindful thing, yeah. particularly if you're. We're not talking about a colouring in book here. We're talking about, you know, very nuanced application of shade and colour and light because the smallest uh, anomaly will, because you're very photorealistic in, in some of your work, the smallest anomaly will just, you know, like, change how somebody views it. You have to be very, very careful. So you are in the moment. You have no choice but to be. Um, and accessing that state um, uh, I'm just funny. I'm, you know, I, I recognise what you're speaking about. It's um, it's delightful to be in that space. <laughs> um, what do you feel like when you look at a, a thing and go, "Yep, that's how I saw it in my head." What's that feel like? Um, I'm a bit like David Lynch in that I he I think he said something about like I don't interpret my work. Yeah. Why? Why should you? Hey, um, he's no. too good. I love him so much. No, um, I don't like, and he's a bit. <laughs> why don't interpret my work? Wow. Why should you? Wow, that's. Yeah. Uh, man, 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 Lynchy boy. <laughs> I wish I could do a Harry Dean Stanton impression, <laughs> um, but I would need to smoke like. Oh, God. 
80 packs of cigarettes. We'll be back in a second with Grace Tame. Just a moment to say that you can always email me, send us your email at gmail.com. Uh, one more email. I read some at the start of the show, but... Uh, this one comes in. What are you doing while listening to this podcast, you ask? I answer, putting clothes away and now stopping to write this email. And now second guessing whether I would like to continue putting away said clothes. Thank you so much for sending me that email, Paul. That's cool. This podcast is, uh, we are not under the umbrella of a humongous radio company, which, yeah, it's wild. The podcast charts that exist are Funnily, they only exist for people who are a part of those big radio companies who choose to pay for the charts at those radio companies. Yeah, man, I don't know. It's a weird system, but we're not a part of that. We don't have a blog or a news site. We don't have anything that can get the word out about us. We can't repurpose our stuff on a much bigger platform. So we're independent of that. And so the only way we can get people to find out about the show is if you tell them. So please, if this episode has brought you any value at all, if you were thinking there's someone in your life who could benefit from hearing this, please share it with them or find a social post about this episode and tag someone in it or copy the arrow or the paper plane or the the hamburger or the three dots or whatever it is in your podcast app and you know maybe put that in a comment box of a something that you're going hey look you know this is interesting and it reminds me of this podcast i listened to was grace tame boom here it is like just sharing it with people or just tell a friend just say hey i listened to her the other day on his show yeah the guy from, yeah with a shouty i know with a whisper yeah him yeah yeah he had her on yeah, it was interesting no there's no roses no he never does roses 10 years now maybe more uh uh, but you know what I mean. Just tell a friend. It's the best thing you can do for us. It really, really is. It helps everybody here and it helps me pay the people who help me make the show. We're back in a moment with Grace Time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You cannot choose a life of advocacy, but you have. And it, it comes with a lot of, it comes with when you decide that this is important enough to fight for, you you go into that knowing that there's going to be f- f- some bizarre reason people that fight back. How do you, how do you keep yourself healthy <laughs> when you when you're in this turbulent world of advocacy, particularly in the area that you're in? To to be clear about what I chose and what I didn't choose, yeah. we've got to sort of rewind to 2017. Yeah, when I was approached. Well, actually, first my mother was approached Mm. by the journalist Nina Fennell. Um, My mother was at the University of Tasmania Mm -hmm. studying behavioural science. 
And the reason that she was approached by Nina Fennell, who's um, a journalist, and she does a lot of work reporting on sexual assaults, um, particularly that uh, occur on university campuses. Mm -hmm. She's done some um, great campaigns. She created the hashtag Let Her Speak campaign and runs the hashtag Let Her Speak and hashtag Let Us Speak campaigns. Um, She approached my mother because there was... Um, there was a lot of unrest on the campus. Um, the child sex offender, the convicted, twice convicted child sex offender who abused me was also studying there and had actually committed a second crime while he was studying there. Um, shortly after he was released from prison for the first offences, um, the abuse of, of me, but also of possess- possession of child abuse material. Um, shortly after he was released from prison, he was immediately awarded, almost immediately awarded, a federally funded PhD scholarship to study chemistry and put into student accommodation with undergraduate students that had shared shower facilities. Um, and... You know, it's not so much that he was just studying there. Um, while he was studying there, a number of people allegedly complained about his presence on campus and mm. at the university facilities like the gym where um, mm. even by by his own admission in a an interview with Bettina Arndt that was published in 2017, you know, he'd be up on the equipment for up to five hours at a time. And... People were uncomfortable with his presence because he is quite a domineering mm-hmm. man, shameless. Um, and there were students who had been at my high school who were there, you know, and my mother was also there. And really it was the second offence, I think, that um, uh, was the issue because he, he, as my mother pointed out, must he must have broken the student code of conduct. By committing the second crime, he boasted online about his offences against me. Um, he, he said, "You know, judging by all the emails and tweets I've received, I must be one of the most envied, or most of the men in Australia envy me, or words to that effect." Boy. And he did. He served a second um, prison term. And you know, long story short, Nina Fennell reached out to my mother first, and then, of course, there was the reality that there was a second. Um, person behind this because he, he was a child sex offender and I was the child, um, now an adult, at 22 years old at this point, um, behind that narrative. And she was interested in telling that story. And um, we communicated, I shared my story, and it was actually my mother that pointed out that there would be this prohibitive law. Um, and Nina was horrified. She um uh, spoke to news.com's or news news corporation's senior legal counsel counsel Gina McWilliams, who confirmed um, that there was indeed a prohibitive law and pointed out exactly what it was to her, and that was the sort of the birth of the Let Her Speak campaign, essentially. And other survivors came on board. Mm-hmm. Um, two down in Tasmania at first, and the the first time that I showed my face on television in 2019, August 2019, um, after I got a court order before the law was actually changed in Tasmania in 2020, that was sort of, that was very different. You know, that level of advocacy, that level of a profile was very different. Um, You know, I, I... knew Steve Fisher, who was the first Tasmanian survivor to win a right to speak, who who did that back in 2001, 22 years ago. 
And, yeah, it was very different as I understood it. Um, And it was pretty rough too. Like after that episode of television, a few weeks after that episode of television, I was actually in a car chase. I was chased home um, by a a thug who um, chased me all the way home to my mother's house. Um, And, uh, yeah, um, I remember the police coming over and because my my stepdad and my mum had seen that they saw the car drove off. Um, But, yeah, a thug got out of his his car um, while I was still in in. Um, it was my mum's car that I was driving at the time and bashed on the window while I was still inside of it and called me a fucking whore. And there were sort of like pretty horrific messages um, on the YouTube video of the episode of the 7.30 report um, that I'd done. And, yeah, it was a very different sort of experience, I suppose, to being named Australian of the Year, which is something that I didn't have any control over at all. I didn't have any control over that process. You know, the awards process is still something that I don't understand. I don't know who Mm -hmm. selects it. Um, I know some of the people, you know, I I met them eventually um, when Max and I went to Canberra in January 2021. But that's something that nobody can prepare for, Mm. um, especially because there's no real control over um, the public reaction to it. Yeah, so that's something that I've had to learn. Quickly. <laughs> through a trial by fire. <laughs> yeah, well and truly. Well yeah, and but I think certainly the um, experiences that I've had just in my life, um, one of those I just described to you. It's fucking terrible, mate. Um, put, maybe put me in good stead because <laughs> <laughs> that's the underbelly yeah. that I went in with. Like I yeah, was right. like, okay, <laughs> you know, like yeah. on the one hand it's, Different, but it's also like I think that's the stuff that people don't see of what you know child sexual abuse is like. Jesus Christ, man! And there's you know that's not the only time. I mean, oh Max God. and I before we went to Canberra in 2021, we had someone come over and go through our bins. They tipped all the contents of our bin, like glassware that had been smashed. Um, it was our recycling bin was taken. You know, that, that sort of stuff. It's it's cage-rattling stuff. It's it's designed to so, make you fearful. Um, it's it's intimidating. Yeah. Um, it sort of has that message of, like, what's next? Are they going to take it a step further? Um, we've had people come and bash on the fly screen door. Um, we've had people bash on our current, the, the front door of our current house. Um, it is. It's to send that message of, you know, we know where you live. What um, makes you keep showing up? Well, children are far more important and, like, what, what are you going to do? Like, what, what are you going to do? You can, you can take note of it. You can, you can document, document the time, um, the nature of it, keep a running, you know, tally of mm. these things. You can report them. But... How do you keep yourself okay knowing that stuff could happen? I mean, I talk about it. I speak to, to to friends about it. I know other people who have been doing this work for a lot longer than I have, and they have experienced similar things as well. They've, some of them have experienced far worse incarnations of this um, technique, as as I described, as as like cage rattling sort of stuff. This mm. this um, surveillance, if you want to describe it like that, you know, being like maybe followed. And some of it's like, it's all sort of walking along the this sort of like alongside the the law, and mm. you know where you can't necessarily prove it. You can't, 
you can, can take sort of photos of it. You know, mm. you might see a car in your street and you think, is that car like, you know, and then you start to see other things and it's to plant that seed of doubt in your mind to make you anxious. And you can be vigilant, but there's, there's also a danger in getting too carried away because then you just spend every day of your life going like, mm. looking over your shoulder. So and that's sort you- of the intention of that behaviour as well is to make people... Yeah live in a constant state of mm. fear to be, you know, living in psychological purgatory, to be a prisoner in, yeah. in one's own mind. And that's no way to live, is it? Oh, I can definitely relate. Um, uh, how, so what do you, what do you do through the, what do you do through the day to make Not sure that? that? No, like how do you, <laughs> what are some things that you can do to make sure that you've got resilience to deal with this kind of shit? Oh, draw pictures, go for a run, like yeah. ride a bike, you know, and talk to your friends. Like simple, simple medicine that is really not that far-fetched. Eat whole foods, drink water, sleep, you know. Keeping your communication lines open, and I don't mean like being on the phone, yeah. um, you know, scrolling through the internet. I mean real authentic lines of communication, mm-hmm. like seeing your friends and trying to live as wholesome a life as possible. Community is really good, being being with big groups of friends and just like, just like again, share, sharing your stuff, this stuff, like um, making it, putting it out in the open and, and, and like this stuff is like the, it's the Wizard of Oz behind the cur- curtain. It's, it's real, it's physically real, mm. but what it means psychologically when you break it down is actually like, I'm like, well, what are, what are you trying to, what are you trying to tell me? Because I don't, I actually don't believe in it. Like, I don't believe in your, your narrative. Right. Like, because there's also, they want me to believe it's scary, but I, I think, well, actually I'm going to flip the narrative and go, well, actually I think you're being silly. Like, I think it's laughable. Mm. I think you're being funny and sad. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, it's really, there's a lot of power in that. Like, yeah. you know, like, okay. Oh, man. Fucking hell, man. Like, okay, <laughs> you're just, it's just a car. Like, it's just a car and a big angry thug Fuck. bashing on the window, calling me a fucking whore. Like, it was scary at the time, you know, because we were going like 90 k's an hour in a residential street Jesus at one point. Christ. And maybe if I took a, like, if I wasn't a great driver and, like, I really, like, it shook me and I took a wrong yeah. turn or something like that, like, yeah, it can happen yeah. like that. But. So this kind of leads me to one thing I did want to ask you about. I've seen you talk about this. I've read that you've spoken about um, rage as a fuel. Yeah. and Is, I that, a, is that a good fuel source to have? Is it a handy fuel source? Because, like, things like rage and anger where I'm very reluctant. Audrey's sometimes just like, just get fucking angry about something. And I'm like, I'm sober now. Like, there was a time in my life where I yeah, wasn't. Yeah, I'm sober and, too. All right. It's up yep. 13 years now. But there was a time in my life when anger, if it got to a point, would take the reins and point me in directions and start to say and do things that I would then later on go, who the fuck was I when that happened? I'm still me, but it would take over. And so I'm reluctant to allow myself to feel that amount of upset, probably to my detriment. So that's what I'm asking. Like when it comes to something like anger or rage as fuel, um, What's the way that you can access that in a, in a safe way? I think very rarely. Yeah. I think it has to be 
I think it's very rare circumstances. And I think perhaps I might have been taken out of context when I was speaking about oh, that. Okay. I was a child when I got I got very angry at the man who abused me. And rightly so. Yeah. And I and um well, you, have, you have less nuanced emotions when you're young. Yeah. You, you only get the sixteen crayons and then later on you get the big set. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. all you got. <laughs> and I like so the the context in which I I spoke about that. There was an article that was written, I think, just after I wrote my book, and it was a, I think it was a promotional piece. Right. It was in the Sydney Morning Herald, and mm. I said, like, rage saved my life in the end. Yeah. Which, again, you know, it was playing into I'm, – I'm, I'm sad about that because it was a playing into a trope that mm. was used of by the media. Um, the media often recycle images of me um, that were taken from one speech – the day that I was um, at the press club mm. in 2022. With Brittany Higgins. When, yeah. when I had broken my collarbone nine days earlier. And I don't think people absorb that. I had perhaps good reason to be frustrated then as well because mm. um, I had been told on a phone call. Um, oh, the phone call. I read about I'd been that. T- told on a phone call, and not just, you know, don't say anything about the Prime Minister, but I'd also been told, and Max was there um, as well, he remembers this, I'd been told, um, you know, in August 2021, like only five months, or not, no, sorry, seven months after, yeah. um, I'd been named Australian of the Year, uh, that, yeah, like, you know, you, you're setting up a foundation and, um, like, we've got a lot of resources and we, we could s- support your foundation or we could not support your foundation. It was a bit, it was a bit, it was, it was, it was yuck, really. It was the phone call version of the car chase. Well, it was, it was the, just the like... Phone, the phone call of the tipping the bins upside down. It's the well, same yeah, shit. Well, yeah, it wasn't it's really. the same shit. But it was just... It's the same fucking shit. It was, and the point that I was trying to make was, like, what did I do this for? Like, why did you guys... You know, like, I was like, all right, okay. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I mean, dis- disappointed is not a powerful enough word. Mm. Um, I was in a sling. Mm. Um, I was using, at that point, cycling to cope um, because in 2021 I also fractured my pelvis in two places. Um, and then at the end of that year I also fractured my foot and then I snapped my collarbone. And I was doing those things. I was I was running, um, you know, when I, was, when I was named Australian of the Year, I was running 110 kilometres a week and I nice. weighed 46, 47 kilos maybe. Um, I was really struggling. I wasn't menstruating. I hadn't menstruated for two about two years. I was like I was anorexic and, again, like I've gone through phases of anorexia, which is um, it didn't begin as a result of um, the trauma. You know, I, I, I had other traumas in my childhood. It wasn't actually the first time that I was sexually abused. But it certainly um, worsened and was connected to um, the abuse at my high school because um, he sort of wove um, all kinds of psychological manipulation into mm. um, that experience. And so, yeah, it was – there was – like the, the media have sort of recycled those pictures of me 
without the sort of the, the the what should be quite an obvious context that I was in like a lot of physical pain. Yeah. Um, you know, to give a speech like that to the press gallery, one doesn't really want to take endone no. um, because you <laughs> might be a bit cooked. Um, and you don't so, want to be slurring your words. And so, yeah. And when I when I first broke my collarbone, and it's. It's, it's like you, you can see this big lump there. I oh. didn't have surgery on it, oh, but no. but it was it was when I first broke it, yeah. the bone was not displaced, so oh. it was still sort of connected by a hairline. <gasps> and then what happened, they just sent me home from the um, emergency department in this sling and they sent me home with some painkillers and a script for um, some endone, like seven days' worth. And they were like, oh, you know, you'll get a call from the orthopaedic surgeon. They couldn't have an orthopaedic surgeon see me then because they were too overloaded. The strain from COVID, the healthcare system is under is, you know, speaks for itself. And so I didn't hear from anyone. And then over the like preceding 10 days or so, I could just feel this ripping sensation. Like it was like there were like, you know, rope, ropes that were on fire that were just being pulled inside my chest just con- constantly. And then when we returned from Canberra, I went back to the emergency department and I said, look, I have no medical experience whatsoever. Yeah. I don't know. I've only been to a community college for two years. That's the highest level of education that I've got. But I reckon, I reckon there's something wrong. So I went in, <laughs> got a scan. And again, like, don't have any medical experience, but I have two perfectly, well, actually, I don't have 20-20 vision, but I've got eyeballs yeah. and I could see my bone was had broken inside of my chest oh my God. so I had it broken slowly inside of my chest so you said you that's that those are the pictures that they use all the time yes yeah, yeah, so they were yeah. using pictures of my bone breaking inside <laughs> my chest as like geez they're so angry and I'm like no I'm just ex- in excruciating pain <laughs> Fucking hell. and then yeah. the context in which um that headline came mm. out after my book where I've said rage, rage mm. saved my life in the end is from a, an anecdote, it's a true moment yeah. where I was in the office of this twice convicted sex offender um, and I'm yelling at him uh, mere days before I reported him to the school mm. who we, you know, later found out had knowledge of what he'd done before. Anyway, um, so I'm yelling at him and I was telling him that I hated him for what he had done to me. I was crying and he was just sitting there like you are now um, in his desk chair and he was just like blank, blank stare. Jesus Christ. And that, that is the rage that helped me who didn't have a concept of psychopathy, didn't know that term really, didn't know what sadism was, didn't understand that term. But I felt that. Mm. I felt the sadism and I felt the psychopathy because what I could, again, not um, express in words but could Mm. um, translate in my child mind, conceptualise in my child imagination... Mm. Um, which was very real, was a um, an absence of emotion mm. and an absence of um, care. Everything that you've just said, the last like 10 minutes or so of answering back to me is like, I'm just, I'm just so fucking like, that's something that's never going to happen in mainstream, you know, in, a, in an article like that, you know, because you've been able to speak 
and put both those things into context, the picture and the, and the words, in a way that's never going to get described because it's just never going to happen. And just thank you for doing that. Thank you for – because that story alone – is going to change the way people look at news. That's, that story alone is going to change the way people look at a headline because they might go, oh, hang on a sec, I heard Grace talk about it. I know the picture and I know the headline. The fuck? Man, there's so much other shit going on that I never get told about because it doesn't fit in the fucking thing. It can't fit. And they say a picture paints a thousand words. And I'm like, but a thousand words is not enough, is it? No, <laughs> no, mate. Tell me, about, tell me about the foundation. I mean, there's, it's like... You know, I'm not going to say it's like I can't compare things, Kinsburg. Like, with something like this, the problem is so vast and it's so multifaceted. Like, where do you start? Where do you begin? With something like the foundation that you're working with, like, what's it like to work with people and bring people together to focus on this? It's incredibly re- rewarding. And the answer to your question about where do you start with something so vast mm. is the... Um, same answer, um, doesn't matter what the problem is, um, it's somewhere small because there's a danger in biting off more than you can chew um, and also um, other problems will reveal themselves in due course mm-hmm. and th- you know, momentum is is what you will gain when you achieve little tasks and, you know, you'll get um, also more, um, you'll hone your skills from achieving little wins. What's it like to assemble a team? Um, well, you, you don't need to have a, um, a big team of, of champions. You just need to have a small champion team. Um, yes, coach. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you're right. But it, it, it must feel good to go, that person, that person. Yeah, it's important that you have a good skills matrix within mm-hmm. your team. Yeah. Um, and we have pretty clear goals. Um, you know, within our sort of remit, there's we've got, you know, two or three, I guess three main pillars. There's um, preventing... In intervening and responding to to child sexual abuse, um, and within that sort of more more broad goal, if you will, there are three main ways that we approach that. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is through structural reform, so legal um, and policy reform, and then there's education and awareness raising, Mm. so social reform. And then there's support of survivors, mainly through philanthropy. Mm. So we provide the funding for the legal work of survivors of child sexual abuse. That's extraordinary. Is there anything on the horizon around um, reporting standards for these cases? that could possibly be put to media. Here's a, here's the kit. She's like, so like, um, like yeah, what we did. We just, put it, we just put them out. Of course you did. Fantastic. Yeah. So the national office of child safety worked with the university of Canberra and a number of other stakeholders, blue knot. And, um, we worked on it as well. And then also, um, a lot of survivors contributed to it mm-hmm. and other academics and experts, um, mm. uh, in the field. Yeah. And 
The problem is, though, as I see it, um, one of many, the real problem is that there's no adequate system of accountability, and this sort of cycles back to what you said at the start. Like, there's there's something, but how do you yeah. enforce it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's it's still it changes the language in which you tell the story changes the, the lens through which people view it. And, exactly, exactly. You know, the, we've, we spoke um, like your uh, and there's your legacy is that like the, the word relationship is the fucking the wrongest word ever to be used in these contexts. But like that word itself changes the entire context in which we view something like this. So and I think about it particularly through the the my experience of um, you know reporting on suicides and that there's the clear research in these words. Okay, these words, terribly bad for everyone. You don't think it's, you think it's benign. It's not. It's really dangerous. It's super easy. You can tell the same story. Here's some different words. That is, that changes the way that people, they don't, people reading may not be aware of these guidelines, but it changes the way they appreciate the story. And it changes the way that they view their community. It changes the way that they view uh, victims and perpetrators in the community. And it's really, really, really important because the language is, is, is vital to get, to get right. It's, I'm, I'm so happy you did that. That's freaking cool. Thank you. Yeah. And we still have work to do on that particular issue because we've achieved harmonisation in terms of removing the word relationship from the offence heading. Mm. But there are other parts of the offence. So there's the description of the offence, mm. um, like the key elements of the offence underneath the heading. So like mm. the charge is called something and then, um, you know, there's what it actually entails. Mm. And it's in that detail um that we encounter some problems because some jurisdictions um, still have the word relationship in other parts of their offence. And what we want to do is completely expunge that word. God, you must know some fucking sniper-level lawyers. Because I know your role with human rights lawyers. There's few people that I find more fascinating than, than human rights lawyers because they're like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to go and I'm going to – I am a person with a keyboard and I'm going to change a government. And that's fucking amazing. Uh, it's amazing stuff. You mentioned earlier that you were you were using riding and you were using running yes. as a way to keep your keep yourself together. Do you, <laughs> or as I mean, I, as I regulate a, as opposed to I regulate super sorry, glue. No, I paper mache. Um, I was actually I was about your age when I discovered that um, uh, pipe cleaners <laughs> running. I was about your age when I discovered running was very good at helping me regulate my mental health and regulate my my mood. Um, I do you still. Run? Do you still yeah. do you still ride? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ran six k's on Monday morning. Yeah. I ran the Malabar Headland. Oh, it's delightful. It was beautiful. Uh, Clip tops. Nessa Turnbull Roberts and Moz. Amazing. Yeah, Mustafa. Tell me about. Uh, you mentioned earlier that when you're working on an artwork, you have this kind of almost meditative space. What's it yeah. like when you're running? It's also a moving meditation. Yeah, especially if I'm running on the trails um, and away from the city um, where I feel frustrated by the constant stopping at traffic lights. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. How far do you have to run before that kicks in? Oh, not very far. No? I'd say probably maybe a K or so. Is that all? Yeah. Man, I used to have to go for like 40 minutes before that shit would stop in my really? brain. Yeah, I'd have to go for ages. Yeah. I ended up running a long ways. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I, I do feel that. Like I feel, I think... Really about the 6K mark is when yeah. I get a like a really yeah. good um, – but, yeah, I do like as – as, as soon as I get into a repetitive mm. – it's the repetitive movement for me that helps get me into gear. Yeah. Um, and certainly that's um, – you know, there's research 
around like autism and um, like repetitive movement being like really soothing and stuff like that. So I, I almost found it like when I first, I thought it was almost like the EMDR stuff I used to do with a psychologist a long time ago when they waved the fingers in front of your eyes. Did you ever have that one? Oh, it's wild. I didn't take very well to EMDR. They gave me a buzzer. Oh, um, like I, I was, never got I was a buzzer. In, I was in the US and I, I got given a buzzer and I like I lasted like I lasted like two seconds. I just didn't vibe on it. Oh. I like I like holding a buzzer and I think it's again I think it's an autism thing where oh, certain right. like certain um, oh, sensations oh, right, and right, right, right. things I just don't I'm vibe sorry. on. Wow. And, and I just was like I don't. I don't know. I would find I would find like running. I miss it so much. I, yeah. I, I would find the well, there's yeah, there's there's research about just moving your body forward through space. Yeah, is fucking good for you. And I really like yoga too. Oh yeah, stuff. That's the stuff, and that's that's really important. But it sounds like you've got a a fairly robust structure of things that help you do what you do because you are you are facing the flamethrower, mate. By the sounds of things, every day. Yeah, I mean. I think we've all got our challenges. I think Mine, everyone. I think people, <laughs> yours are pretty. You described a couple that are pretty humongous, mate. I don't have any other frame of reference, though. Really, I think you just face every day and you go, "What's next?" Like I try to keep a positive attitude. Some days, obviously, I think we all have a right to go. I feel a bit crap today <laughs> for whatever okay. reason. For whatever okay. reason, okay. Yeah. Like I think, you know, I'm not in a war zone. I, I was asked the other day about sort of my experience of the media and I said, uh, and this is my experience again, mm. but I, I, I answered by giving sort of just a, an objective, like, reflection as somebody who takes everything that's in the media with a grain of salt mm. and, again, with respect to the fact that uh, the proliferation of, of media um, does have an effect on people I did leave Australia not because of the media, but because of um, like like I was living in a, in a hometown, a small it, hometown, all those sorts of things. But anyway, um, I went to another country. Changed my name. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> it was fucking, they were who, who I showed up to be. That's who they treated me as. It was fucking the best. <laughs> but I, I, I said in response to this question about the Australian media landscape um, that. The news landscape is not synonymous with truth. The news and truth are not the same thing. The, the especially uh, mainstream media, it, well, what it is, is it's a corporate-sponsored circus performance and occasionally truth gets thrown into that ring and juggled. That's perfect. You know. It couldn't be a more perfect description. That's what it is. For the product that is news. Yeah. Because it is a product. It yeah. is a product that people pay for. Like, like you know, those glasses, like this microphone. Yeah. People buy it. Yeah. And, and they and want to sell it. Exactly. And, and it gets infused with all different agendas. You know, <laughs> sometimes it gets chewed up by the lion in the lion's cage. Sometimes yeah. it, like, makes it into the ring of fire in there. Sometimes, like, it's just... There's always a fucking clown car, Grace. There's always <laughs> a clown car in there. And that clown car is driven by Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, knowing that and having news literacy is super important. But that's just even listen, just even the way... You know, in this conversation, and I hope I've done an okay job because I found myself asking you a question, and I was like, "I was like, fuck, have I blown it?" <laughs> I felt like about three times, like, "Fuck, have I fucking blown it with you, Grace?" No, but I'm <laughs> really sorry if I 
done that. I really am. I really am. I, I, you know, I was really excited about you coming and I don't want to have, you know, done the wrong thing by you today. I can very this clearly is a, see This that. is a wide, there's a wide gulf of it between this and bashing on the window of my car and calling it's it true. fucking whore. You've, uh, I'm pretty, I'm actually a very difficult person to rattle. <laughs> I don't doubt that. But I can clearly see how, who you are in front of me and the representation of you, the hyper-real version of Grace Tame that we see represented to us through the lenses of the news product Kazerkas you talk. They're two different things. But that's it and that's a pantomime as well. So yeah. everyone in everyone in the public eye and the media, and this includes you though, you are given a pre you're precast in a role mm. in this in the pantomime of Australia's Grand Theatre. <laughs> you know, and like, you know, for example, just just like pick somebody that is known like I wouldn't call myself a, like a celebrity. I'm just known mm. because I like I'm an advocate. I'm too busy. I'm over here, and mm. occasionally they'll throw me up and they'll go. Ah, la, 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 la. You don't have to dance for them. You don't mm. have to play, play for them. Mm. And for a while though, as well, I was annoying them because I was like I didn't fit into their like cookie cutter thing, and they mm. were like, "What? Like she she made a she made a meme." She made what? <laughs> she's, she's. You look really good on that five dollar note, by the way. Like, oh, not not a meme, but you know, like, no, like, like, oh, yeah. like she can laugh at herself being yeah. in the bong photo, like, yeah. you know, and they're like, but she, oh, but she's supposed to be, yeah, mad, you know, like yeah. it's just like, but people, because people are people, yeah, but they just want somebody to be, you know, whether they want somebody to be, you know, angry shouty mm. or. Joan of Arc or mm. whatever it is, you know, like they, what they want you to be is their simple yeah. thing. We want to get the drive through. Their, we want to get the thing on the menu and look in the bag and go, close enough. Yeah, for their cartoon narrative. They are. And, yeah. and that's, that's the wildest thing. Because nuance doesn't sell, banality no. doesn't sell, but reality is banality. Evil actually is banality. Mm. Like the stuff that happened to me was like at times and it was chilling because it was so cold. Like, mm. you know, it wasn't it wasn't 100 degrees like the, mm. like, you know, it was, it was awful because it was so, it was so protracted. It doesn't make good horror movie stuff. You know, it was so no. well. It, actually, it does. It's it was so protracted. Yeah. You know, like yeah. how do you how do you write every detail of the the time that I was left in an office by this man from the middle of the day until he decided to come back at nine o'clock at night, and I didn't know when he was going to come back. How do you write every detail of how cold that felt and how yeah. chilling that felt? How do you write about that? Certainly not in a way that you can you know be sure that you can get out to the sport and the weather by seven o four. No, like you just, like there's, it's, but like all of that stuff is just, you know. Yeah. It's, but this is why, like you coming here and us having this conversation, the last hour or so that people have chosen to spend with us, hearing the personality in your voice, hearing the tone of your voice, news can't be told in eight second chunks or 10 second chunks. Some shit takes, and we went all over the place today, some shit takes an hour yeah. Some, to get even just the smallest amount of it. But that's what it is to be human, is to actually spend that amount of time. We want it to be quick. We want it to. We want to look at a headline and go, I know the said. whole story, but that's not it. 
<laughs> Sorry. Well, then she has chosen poorly. Yeah, exactly. Actually, she that didn't work at all. Would rather go. No, 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 no. Um, that didn't work at all. Never mind. Take it. Take your time, buddy. Um, this is actually something that um, I'm not really spoken about, but um, needs. I think needs to be spoken about is that, okay. um, like when I was named Australian of the Year, I was sort of like immediately co-opted oddly by the media as like an advocate for women. And it's not that I'm not an advocate for women by default, but that's not like I was an advocate for, for survivors of child sexual abuse. And I made mm. that very clear, yeah. but there was a convenience to that because it did actually close off. Um, well, you know, and again, like if you are not an advocate for women, then like as far as I see it, like, you know, you should be an advocate for everyone mm. or you're an idiot. Like, yeah. you know, you should an advocate for human beings yeah. because we're all human. Well, it's easy to put, it's easy to t- say that you're an advocate for women versus an advocate for a, a childhood sexual abuse because it's horrible to fucking speak about. But also, but that's, but that's why, because the mm. media is still, like the media, like child sexual abuse is the last frontier of discomfort for a lot of people. But I came out and I said that I was an advocate for survivors of child sexual abuse and that I wanted to prevent and respond to child sexual abuse. I said that very clearly in my speech. And then the media put a different label on me but they also put a different label on me for there's a sort of a different reason why they can do that and that is because when you're a survivor of child abuse in whatever form you are always a child to them and so they can get away with treating you like a child and like you don't have your own agency to speak about or do what you want to do so there's this perpetual infantilization which is ironic for all a whole nother reason. And again, it's the same form of abuse. It's like, here, we are authoring your script again. And that just kept happening, you know, because it's one in five boys and one in three girls. And I I had to keep, like, saying that and justifying myself, which, again, is another, like, awful thing when you think about it, that I was, I kept having to make my case and validate myself and I felt like I wasn't believed and I wasn't being heard and I was like, why are you doing this? To me. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you pointed that. Again, you've taught us a lot about the way that news media looks at people through yeah. describing your experience. Because it's also a convenient way to set somebody up against their will, mm. like when they didn't didn't try to do it, yes. to set somebody up to be someone who's going to cop um, criticism. Mm. Ch- child sexual abuse is already divisive in of itself. Mm. You know, it's already scary for the reasons that I've explained in depth because it, you get resistance from... Um, you know, a subculture of child sex offenders mm. who they network in packs. I mean, mm. it's beyond. Yeah. Well, look, I'm, I couldn't be happier that you came around. <laughs> and thank you for being so generous with your time. No worries. You're the best, Grace. Mm, no. That was Grace Tame. Her book is called The Ninth Life of a Diamond Miner. It's a heck of a read, a heck of a read. She has changed a lot for a lot of people, though very, very clearly there is a long, 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 long way to go in our community. We have a lot of work to do. We have so much work to do, but it's worth working on it, isn't it? It's worth working on it. I don't think it's a particularly progressive or lefty thing to say, hey, you know that stuff that Grace Tame's talking about? You know, trying to protect children at risk of childhood sexual abuse. That's a good idea. You know, I don't think that has you know any ideology behind it at all. Except, yeah, let's protect a human here, please. And um, 
I think it's important that we remember the humanity at the basis of what this stuff is all about. You can support Grace through her foundation. You can support her by amplifying her messaging, her writing, her art, her book. That's how you can support her. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being a part of the show. Thanks to Andy Ma, who did audio and video post on the show. Thanks to Abby Benno, who produced it. Thanks to Toa Hyder for all the music. Thank you for listening. I'll see you Wednesday. Have a cracking day. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.